Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Blackjack Real Estate, Bill Allen. Now, Bill's credentials are absolutely packed. From pursuing various degrees in aerospace engineering to a storied career in the Navy spanning almost two decades. But what is most important or most evident about Bill is that he is, at his heart, an entrepreneur. After years of experience flipping houses, Bill decided to start Blackjack Real Estate to offer a streamlined way for consumers to seek financial freedom for them and their families. Bill went from flipping one or two houses a year to employing a staff of more than a dozen employees and facilitating the renovation, listing, and exchange of more than 200 houses per year. Bill has quickly become a big name in the Florida and Tennessee real estate scene, and with the founding of Seven Figure Flipping in 2019, Bill is certainly the one to watch. Blackjack real estate is growing like crazy, so Bill, my friend, let's get to it. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. That was possibly the best intro that I've heard. So I want to take that and just rewrite my entire uh, bio with that. So Hey, I'll send it to you right after the podcast and I'll give the team a a, a congratulations for writing a good intro for you. Yeah, that was awesome. Normally somebody just like reads what you have, you know, you send a bio, they read the bio and that's it. And I hear it over and over and over again. I've been on a lot of these and that, that attention to detail right there, if you're listening, that's the difference between a successful company and somebody who just is. So pretty cool. I love that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it sounds like we were accurate. We took our stab at, at kind of crafting together somewhat of a narrative of your origin story, but I'd love to hear in your own words, how did you get into this? Yeah. So uh, like you said, my background is uh, flying helicopters and airplanes for the Navy. So I've been, this is my 19th year in the Navy. Uh, I'm a reservist now. I did 15 years of active duty. Um, I actually started my company, Blackjack Real Estate, like you're talking about, when I was on active duty. So I was full-time pilot. Um, we had just wow. had a baby. And I, I like I was, we were, I was just getting kind of just get, we just got married. We had a, a kid on the way. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to feed, you know, two other mouths uh, on top of mine. So I'm starting to get a little bit worried, right? I think as we become a parent, we start to shift the way that we that we think about life. It's a transitional time for us. So I was like, man, I just don't feel that secure in my retirement. I've been saving money my whole life. Money management is big for me, but um, I was looking for something, something else. And uh, I kind of turned and looked at real estate and said, this is something interesting that I might, I might want to pursue in, in more detail. So I, I had had a couple rental properties at the time. Um, real estate is something I kind of knew, but I wanted to figure out how I could start flipping houses or doing something uh, a little bit different. So um, that was kind of the transition. I knew that I wanted some financial freedom and I, I really didn't want to get deployed again, frankly. I knew my path was to deployment in the next couple of years. So uh, I figured, I don't know, maybe I, can, uh, maybe I can figure this thing out. I'll just do my 20 years in the Navy and, uh, and get out and retire and, and make some money on the side in real estate. So uh, I actually joined a mastermind program. That's like the, the way I really got started in real estate was I just, I bought it, I was buying a rental property and my agent said, you know, you could, you could probably sell this house and make some money. So we fixed it up and we sold the first one uh, before I really dove deep into real estate. We made $43,000 on that house. So yeah, it took six months. We made 43 grand. And that sounds like half of the money that I was making in the Navy at the time. 
And I was like, wow, this is, there's an opportunity here. So that's when I dove a little deeper, trying to understand like how big could you get as a house flipper or real estate investor? And I found a lot of people that made a ton of money. They're doing hundreds of houses. It seemed completely unrealistic to me at the time um, or impossible. And you're kind of at that point where you're saying, oh, you can't do this. Like people don't actually do this. Like, right. This is a lie. This is a scam. They're selling something, all that stuff. Right. And um, I, I just, I found a guy's podcast, actually. His name is Justin Williams. It was, um, it was a podcast about his kind of just his, his venture, his life and, and his flipping houses and helping other people, bring people on, interview them about their real estate investments, what they want to do, what they're doing now. And there was just something about that, that guy and his values and things that kind of pulled me in. And then he opened up the opportunity to come join uh, his program, right? His mastermind group was $25,000. So I'm going to tell you at this point of my life, I had a library card and I wouldn't even buy a book. I was super cheap. I still kind of am uh, a little bit cheap in, for, in some things. And um, I wouldn't even, no joke, I was using my library card to get real estate books from the library because I didn't want to <laughs> spend money on the books. And I said, I, I actually called my dad at the time and I said, dad, um, I got this opportunity. This guy is, uh, you know, going to show me how to grow my business, start, you know, go from flipping one house a year to doing more. Uh, I, you know, I, I proved the model. I think I can do it. Uh, I, I think that I'm, I might actually be a little bit smarter than this guy, <laughs> you know, all these things, right? Like I, if he can do it, I can do it kind of thing. Right. And my, my dad said, look, my dad runs, uh, started an engineering company in our basement. It took him like 10 years to get this business up and running. And he wasn't really around much when I was little, but when I got older, he was around all the time because he is an entrepreneur, he run the business and he could make his own time and his own hours. So when I got to you know college and, and after he was, he was always around, but I always saw him working really hard. He said, look, son, we hire, it sounds like a consultant. We hire consultants all the time. We bring them into the business. We pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars. They make us an extra million dollars. That's the way it works. Do you think this guy could help you do maybe like one or two more of those? In those houses that you did, you made 43,000. Do you think you could do that? And I was like, yeah, I do. I think I could do one more house, maybe two. I mean, if I can't do one more then I mean, he's, he's doing hundreds. If I can't do two, then I've got a problem. And he said, all right, sounds like a no brainer then. And so right then I put $25,000 on an American Express platinum card that the Navy waived the, uh, the fee for, right? Um, because, uh, and I, I didn't even have the money, frankly. Like I had a, another deal. I had just moved to Florida. We had a, a deal that was closing um, two weeks after that, after I made that payment or put it on the credit card. And I, I was so naive. I didn't even know that a house could fall out of escrow and not close. And because I, I was already counting my, I had, this was my second flip and I was going to make $45,000 on that one. So I was like, I'll take 25 grand and put it towards this program and start growing my business. So that's what I did. I went to the first meeting. I went from doing one house a year. Um, then with their help, I did 67 houses the next year. And then I did 135. Then I did 187. And then we were doing over 200 uh, the past couple of years. So I was able to grow a business from $43,000 a year that second year we made, we did 670,000. The year after that we did 1.3 million. Um, and then the year after that we did 2.3 million. And, that, and that's top line, like a gross profit. So um, obviously Holy I had fees, hell. expenses, some team members and marketing and stuff like that. But I mean, the first year I probably on that, I didn't have a lot of staff for that 670. I probably netted somewhere in the four to $500,000 range for myself, which was a lot your family more. in a year. Totally, totally changed changed my entire future. Changed everything with a twenty five thousand dollars investment in myself, um, and 
I was still flying for the Navy full-time. I, was, I had a $100,000 job flying for the Navy full-time uh, while running that business for the next two years. I was still a full-time pilot in the military, uh, flying about 10 to 12 hours a day, five days a week. And then I had to work one week in a month. What would you say was the biggest the biggest uh, thing that came out of that mastermind that actually led to that rapid growth? Was it understanding how to scale it? Was it just logistics of, hey, here's how scaling works? Or is it courage? Was it... What is it? Like, what do you think really helped turn that switch on? One word, I think. Belief. That's yeah. it. I think that it was, the, it was the shift of the fact that you have belief in yourself that you can do it. And when you see other people do it, that belief becomes really, really strong. Um, I will say that story sounds really awesome, right? And it sounds like, oh my gosh, like, uh, that's amazing. Why wouldn't everybody do that? It took me four and a half months to get my first deal. So in that, those 12 months where I did 67, four and a half months, I did none. So most people quit after four and a half months. So I invested sure. that $25,000 in the mastermind group. I, I set aside $30,000 budget for my company to start my company. So I took 35 grand. I was going to spend $5,000 a month. I hired one person and then I had to do a lot of marketing. So, so we go direct to seller. We, we, do, we market for some direct response marketing. For me at the time, it was direct mail only. And, um, and I was hustling like every single day I was working for four and a half months, just going and going and going and just waiting for that, that to work. And, but I was surrounded by people that supported me and I had the belief that if they can do it, I think I can do it too. And I know that it's possible. And I needed that. Like I needed those meetings. I needed that support. It's almost like I, I call it, uh, I call it EA, Entrepreneur Entrepreneur Anonymous. So, uh, man, that entrepreneur word is tough, isn't it? So, yes. um, so that's what it was. It was like, hey, my name's Bill. I'm an entrepreneur, and I have a problem. Like, and they would help. Me. They would support me through all of it. Um, I'd get the answers to the questions. We always think the tactics and strategies and all that stuff are the most important thing, but I really do think it's kind of like your mindset and your belief. And if you have that, then then you can. You can, you can achieve it. Of course, you need all that other stuff, right? Yeah. You need to understand some of the business and what's going on. But um, most of us can figure that out. And then I, I find somebody asked me this earlier. I, I, was, I was talking to a mindset coach earlier today, actually. And she, she asked me, she's like, what, what do you think that you do really, really well? And I said, I think that I can model other people better than anybody else. I can implement faster and I can take what other people are doing and do it better. And it just, I built a Frankenstein model of my business. I took, I looked around the room. There were 20 people in that first room. And I just grabbed a little piece of all their, of everything that they were doing. And I made it mine, my way. And I just went with that. And I just keep adjusting and tweaking and making changes. Do you think that's a natural ability that you have and recognize, or is it a, has it been a developed ability? I think speed of impl implementation is, is, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly impatient. So I think the speed of implementation is, um, is something that's natural, but I think that the, uh, the skill and the way that I do it and, and, and how, like what I take from, from other people and analyze and how I can see the world now is, is learned over time. Um, so I've always seen it. I was like a closet entrepreneur. I had no idea that this was inside of me. When I look back as a kid, it makes sense. Like I was I almost got kicked out of middle school for selling candy, um, before school, like we would buy it in bulk from the commissary, my dad, and then I would break it up and, and sell it. Uh, at our middle school, there, it was kind of cold in the winter and we had this entry area that, wouldn't, that would be unlocked, but the school wasn't unlocked and we'd walk there. And I set up a shop 
and I was just selling candy out of like, the, I don't know if you remember those old like pencil uh, cases. Oh, so yeah. I had those things, plastic and wood ones, car- like cardboard ones. And then I started having other people at the other entrances sell for me and making like commissions from that and, and stuff. And, 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 you know, I pay them a, a cut and they'd give me the rest. So, um, obviously, and I sold a baseball card shows. Um, I was like the, I was the 12 year old in a baseball card show with like a bunch of like 35 and 40 year old men. Right. And so I was selling and trading and negotiating and stuff. But when I went in the Navy, I was just like, well, this is my job. This is what I do. Um, I don't know anything different. So it's been inside there all the time. So I think a lot of that is learned though. I think we need to learn some of that stuff over time. And, and I was a little cautious to take bigger risks earlier on. And now I'm, I have no problem taking bigger. It's, I think I can calculate that stuff a lot faster in my head and I see a lot more opportunity in the world than I saw before. And a lot of that is learned, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, it makes me uh, think of another question I had, which is, I don't know if this is true or just my small window of observation, but there seems to be at least a number off the top of my head of very successful entrepreneurs and business people that have come out of some military type background, Mm. right? Like you think about even like a black rifle coffee and, you yourself, uh, a client and friend of mine, uh, is Todd Ehrlich, is a f- former Navy SEAL. He started Kill Cliff and now Rule One Ventures. And there's just so many like that that it makes me curious, which, again, I know there's plenty that come out of the military, and that's not their bend. They don't go into entrepreneurism or things like that. But is there anything in particular that you think maybe you did learn during that period of time that is a, a leverage point or a, a, an advantage when you're, you're in a situation like the Wild West of being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Like a million things actually. So I ask this question a lot, even on my podcast, I have a lot of people, I have a lot of, um, military folks that have come into our world, obviously from seeing me, hearing my story and coming into our mastermind group now. And, um, and so I always ask them like, why do you think that military folks are so successful in real estate? I ask them specifically in real estate. Um, but the first one is obvious it's leadership, like leadership skills and being able to lead a team and, and manage a team. Um, and we have to do it in, if you compare the military to business, it's like, you cannot make the wrong moves in the military and live. Yeah. Okay. We're in business. It's kind of like, oh, I made a mistake, uh, slap on the wrist. No, no problem. Right. But we're in very difficult, challenging situations. Uh, I'd say the other thing is decision-making. So what, what I think, so being a helicopter pilot, we fly really low and, uh, and do some pretty tactical missions that don't have, aren't very forgiving. So, um, and not necessarily like super high speed, but when you're thinking about an F-18 that flies at, you know, 30,000 feet and they make a mistake, th- there's an ejection handle to pull, right? But when you're at 50 feet or hundred feet over terrain on night vision goggles, trying to drop some seals off, um, and you're doing 50 feet and 50 knots, like that's pretty fast, man. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, can get really dangerous. So the, the other thing, in that, the decision-making piece is you have to make decisions really fast and you don't have a lot of time to think about. So most people in business, I feel like they, they want to take a while. They want to analyze all the angles. They start to get analysis paralysis. They're not sure what decision to make. And I think the military folks are just so used to collecting the information that they have at the time, understanding what it is, being able to process it fairly quickly, and then deciding and believing and committing to that decision that they make until they have new information where they can change the decision and make something different. And in that, I think is where the magic is because you're constantly moving and adjusting and shifting and you're doing all this math 
or decision-making analysis in your head and processing very, very quickly. And you also have been committed to those decisions. Like you believe them and you can also articulate those and get other people. When you combine that with the leadership, other people will follow you and see that belief and, and you can cast the vision. You can drive them to the place you want to go because a lot of times in the military, we have to convince people to do some things that they don't want to do and they're scared to do. And they have to have the trust in you that your decision is, is the best one to make with the information that we have at the time. Yeah. So do you I guys, think those two pieces are really big. Do, uh, do you all use, or when you were, when you were flying with the, uh, with the Navy, did you guys use the OODA loop idea? Is that something that's uh, present? Yeah. Was, okay. Can you speak yeah, to that? So I'm some? very, I, very I familiar that with that actually. Oh, totally. And you know, it's, that, that's something, that, you know, it's in aviation big time. And then also in, um, and it's funny that you bring that up because I haven't heard that since I was probably like, I don't know. I was, I was an instructor in flight school after, after a lot of my fleet time. So I flew uh, airplanes for them in flight school down in Pensacola. And we didn't really bring that up, but, so, but th we learned that when we were students. So like when I was going through as a student in like 2004, um, that's what came up. And um, it, yeah, that's, it's, it's, that's a very interesting concept that I think is, is important in decision-making for sure. But yeah, yeah, I haven't heard, I haven't heard that, uh, that in a while. Yeah. So feel free to correct me. I'll give you what I know about it. We use it in some of our coaching and, and that kind of stuff. Cause it, it feels really applicable to business. Uh, but it was in a competitive advantage from what I heard in aviation, especially at the time, I think the, it was like the Russian MIGs were too fast. And so we were, we were kind of getting blown out of the sky. And so they said, well, we could speed up our decision-making and be better in our air tactics. And so they developed the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. And you kept doing that over and over again as a ongoing learning cycle. That every time, like you said, you get new information that you observe, well, you orient to that that information, you make a quick decision, you take committed action to it, and then you do it again. And it started to be a competitive advantage. And I've asked a friend that I work out with who's a ranger, same question, like, do y'all use that? And he's like, we use it every mission. Like, whether we're using those words or not, it's, it's a way of thinking, which you just described in different language, right? You're like, yep. yeah, we take the information in, we make a decision, we commit to that decision. It's like, oh, that's the same idea. And you're having shorter feedback loops. Like what I see is, like you said, people take too long of a lap around an idea. And we can obviously rush something, but at some point we got to be decisive as, as leaders, right? Yeah, well, if we can really think about it, like break that down even a step further is, is like the more times that you go around the cycle and the more, so if you only go around that cycle once or twice in the same amount of time that I go around that cycle 10 times, right? I'm taking information, I'm making a decision, I'm acting, and then I'm constantly evaluating and adjusting. Yes. Then I will get to a, a destination that's a lot further, or I'll be able to do more than you in your two cycles, right? And so when you're trying to just get more and more information, I find I struggle with this sometimes with my staff is I'll, I'll, we'll get, we'll hire somebody who's very analytical and I have an engineering background. I'm a mechanical engineering undergrad and aeronautical engineering masters, right? Most people in real estate said engineering people are horrible at real estate investing because they overanalyze everything. So when you are trying to get all this information and just so much information and you never take action, you can never get very far. So more information is not usually best either. So if I can go around that cycle more times than you, I will win. It's just, it's just the way things work. And that, that's exactly yes. what you described, right? In air-to-air -air yep. tactics and, and different, like even ground missions, like the Ranger or the Navy SEAL that you know. Like 
if, if I can just constantly be adjusting and adapting, like if we're going from point A to point Z and I'm, I'm going along the way, but you're still standing put until you get all the information and you, ha- you get the straight line, right? From A to Z, but I'm already halfway there before you even start. Yep. So that's, yep. that's the problem I find with a lot of people and they just don't realize it. They yeah. just sit there and say, no, no, I need to know all the steps. I need to know everything to what success looks like before I even start. And we see that in real estate all the time. I mean, it's, that is common. I'm, I'm doing a, I got 600 people watching a challenge that we're doing right now and I can already see it. Like I'm giving, I'm just doing one hour. I'm giving them one hour of homework and I know that they're waiting till the end to even start. Just today, we're halfway through and I'm like, I know, I know most of you have not even done the thing that I asked you to do the first day and you're waiting till the end of this to decide whether you're even gonna take the time to do that. Like I'm doing it with you. I will be successful. Come along with me and do it. Just take an hour and do it with me. Yeah. And they just won't. Yeah, man. So I was asking that guy, uh, his name is Mike. I was like, Mike, what's an example of a time you've you've used that, right? And he said, man, you know, last year when I was, he was on his eighth dang deployment, on his eighth deployment, he was like, we're in the middle of the desert in a compound with us and I think it was Afghan, Afghani uh, uh, soldiers that were like on, you know, working with them. Yep. And he said, we woke up at two in the morning to sirens and to people scrambling around. And he's like, I had very little, little information other than the siren meant we were under attack, right? So he's like, I wake up my guys and we get moving on whatever information we had. And the first, all the information we had was the sound of gunfire, what direction of the camp it was, right? And so he said, for the next hour, we are moving around the camp, picking up information as we're going. And before the insurgents, so basically some insurgents had been let in, uh, let into the camp, and they had taken over the commissary, started shooting it up, and had taken over the weapons depot inside of this, this base. And he said, before they even knew that we were out there, we had already found them, and 10 minutes later, they were done, Right. And he was like, we were, he's like, the whole time we were, we were making decisions with limited information, but every decision we made, we gathered a little more, we gathered a little more. Mm-hmm. And sh- before the enemy even knew we were there, we already knew where they were and they were done before the fight was really begun, you know? And I'm like, man, how do we do that in business? And my, my thought in business, like you said, is can we seek feedback loops and shorten the feedback loops, right? So like, if you have an idea that, hey, I wanna launch a mastermind or whatever, how quickly can you take your best idea get it going and get feedback from it. Is this working? Is this what you need? Not what you need? All right, let's make a new decision. You know, that kind of thing. Even with client work, making sure, hey, is, is our product or service serving you? You know, not waiting to the end of a year, but checking in maybe every 30 days and making real-time adjustments to what the client needs. That's to me how it applies. I don't know if that makes sense. Is that, is that, is that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, like, another thing that, that we don't do very well in business is ask people what they want and then give it to them. Yes. So like, just take the second, like you just said, to ask people what they want. And then the, the other piece of that is, are we open to feedback? Like as business owners and leaders and our products and, and all those things, are we open to feedback? Are we actually listening? Or do we think we already have it figured out and we know exactly what the customer and client wants and, we and we're just giving them really what we want, right? Yeah. You're giving them what you think that they need, which may or may not be it. So the reason why you might be hitting a wall or not as successful as you are is because maybe you're not open to change, you're not open to feedback, or you're just really just pushing your agenda on everybody else. And I see that a lot too, especially in business owners. Like they're not open to feedback, they're not open to change. They say they are, but they're really not listening to the people around them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me about that. So, you had this business that you started for yourself, right? Where you recognize, hey, there's a skill set I'm learning. I'm learning how to do this. I'm getting more efficient at it. I'm learning to scale it. 
But then at some point, it sounds like you also recognize, hey, there's other people that seem like they might want to learn how to do the same thing. And you're, in a sense, creating a separate business or a another arm of the business that's empowering other people to learn the same thing. What did it look like to get to know that customer and what their needs really were? Well, so what's interesting in my story is that that group that I paid $25,000 to join, right? Um, that company is Seven Figure Flipping that I own today. No so. Way. Yeah. So I was a, I was a paying customer. I jumped right in, not knowing who they were. Um, I became a coach inside that company. I became the COO of that company after a couple of years. And then about two years ago, so in July, 2019, I ended up buying the company from the previous guy, Justin, who I listened to on the podcast. So that is the company that, that I work in like full-time now. I spend all my time there. Um, Blackjack Real Estate, I hired a COO. I actually just uh, I just brought in a partner to take the majority share ownership of that company. And I'm a consultant and a minority share owner in that company because I was going to have to jump back in and do a lot more work. And I didn't have the time uh, to do it, but I wanted to stay connected to the company because I love it. So I, I, I love doing deals. I love figuring out, I love solving problems. So Blackjack Real Estate, I own a, I'm, I'm a co-owner now. So I brought in a partner and, um, and now I own a seven figure flipping the company that I paid $25,000 to join off a podcast, I bought it and, uh, and I run it there. So to answer your question, I, that, I'm sure that, that added like 10 more questions, but yeah. to answer your question that you asked, um, how do I know my customer and avatar? Because I am the customer and avatar, right? So I know why I spent my money. I know what it did for me. I know, uh, I also know those people. Like I grew up with those people. Like those are, I am the, like I look at it like a huge family tree, like Justin and Justin Williams and Andy McFarland were my two mentors. And then there was like me and a couple other people that were the original people in the group. And then, and then they're now like the grandfathers and like, we have people that we've mentored and then they have people that they've mentored. And we go all down the line of just like giving back and helping because so many people have given to like, the reason why I did that is not that like successful business is not because of me. Because of all yeah. the people around me that gave the information, that gave me the belief, that empowered me to do that stuff, and then all the staff that we have. And so we just want to give back. And, and so if I can help somebody else, it's going to roll downhill. The ripples are going to go out. And so I know the avatar because I am the avatar, right? I was there. I felt those things. I knew what I wanted, that freedom dream that I had. And I just want to open up the opportunity for other people to do the same. Oh, I love that. And, and I love that the use of the word avatar. That was something that I had to learn. I didn't have any business background when I got into into business. And the first time someone ever taught me the idea of having a customer avatar, it was like all the light bulbs started going off because I realized I hadn't even hadn't even thought in that way. It wasn't that I didn't know it. I wasn't even asking the question, who is my customer avatar? Who is the ideal person for this product or service? How do they think? You know, what 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 demographic are they? What kind of psychographic? Like what's what's the conversation in their head that you're continuing for them? Uh, that whole thing, but it's like, man, it stops when you when you get it right. It stops feeling like selling, right? Because it, it starts more like meeting a need. You stop, like you said, you're not pushing a product on someone. You're like, I just know you, and I know you've got a need, and we've made this for you. You know, that's like that's Seth Godin's thing. I saw that you wanted this, so I went out and made it. Here you go, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is is that how it's been for you, or am I kind of overstating that? Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it's not selling; it's serving, right? If yeah. we can serve the people that are in our world that, because if you have something, if you have something that you created, so if you're listening to this and you're a business owner or you're thinking about becoming a business owner, right? You have got to be a marketing and salesperson. Like what you don't realize is any business is marketing and sales. That's it. 
marketing, sales, and operations. But we're all marketers. Like you can have the best product in the world, but if you can't market it and sell it, then nobody's ever going to see it. It's the most light of day. And it's a shame, right? Because that could be the best thing that so many people need. So when you create something that's really, really good and you believe how awesome it is, you know it's awesome. It's your duty to serve your customers and the people that are out there that need your thing. It's your duty to go out there and market and sell it. And so it's not selling, it's serving. Like that's what it is. So for me, like I know that, that I needed that thing. Like that thing changed my life, right? That's $25,000 that I parted with. And I did it over and over every single year, right? I just paid it over and over again. And I just joined another group that's way more expensive than that. Because I know like we, I, they, there's something out there that I need. And, and, and I know that somebody else has already done what I want to do. And if I can figure out how to model it, I can get close to them. I can get in the right room and I can be the dumbest person in that room. Then I know that I can, that I'm capable and I have the belief in myself, right? I know I have the belief when you have the belief in yourself, you can do anything. So if we have that, if we have that product, if it could be, it could be anything. It could be an e-commerce product. It could be a, a physical product. It can be a, an info product. It could be whatever. Yep. Like whatever it is, you have that thing. It is your duty to get it out there to the world. That's it. Like that is it. And if that's your mission is to serve people and to really make sure that you're changing lives with the thing that you have, people will see that. And if you have the belief that this thing is really great, they'll see that too. And they'll feel it. And if they feel it, they're going to buy it. It's that simple. So good. Uh, I don't know if it's your microphone or not, but I'm getting some feedback. I, I don't think it's mine. They might, might want to check. It's probably mine. Here. How's that? It's good now. It's just in the last okay. five minutes started to do that. It fell down my shirt because I started yelling. I was getting passionate. <laughs> passionate. I love it. Um, so here's my question, and, and let me preface why I'm asking this question. It is specific to your industry, but I, I'm asking it for the audience because I think it's a question that many people would ask and feel. And so here's the question. Uh, I see a ton of people promoting uh, courses, seminars, masterminds for real estate flipping in particular, right? So decade ago, it's a little bit more of a blue ocean. Now I can't turn on TikTok without some other per some kid is 22 years old with a Ferrari saying, I can teach you to, to, to get a Ferrari too with, with, you know, my flipping program or whatever. And you have been able to stand out in that crowd, right? Like you've been able to, to not be lost in the noise. And I know so many different people look at an industry and go, it's already saturated. Everyone's already doing it. Why would they choose my product or service? Why would they come to my thing, not somebody else's? Uh, and so I'm just curious. How maybe maybe I'm even thinking about it incorrectly. You might think about it totally differently. But my question would be, how have you guys found a way to differentiate or earn trust, and maybe even in, a, in an area that feels saturated and like they don't know who to trust? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I could go a lot of different places with this. I'll, I'll start in some context. Um, I've, I've never been on TikTok. I don't do Snapchat. I have a Facebook page. I haven't been on my LinkedIn page in a really long time. And I'm trying to, maybe my team tells me I should be on Instagram, but I have like less than a thousand followers on Instagram. Okay. So I'm saying all that to tell you that we run a business here that'll probably do $5 million or maybe even more in that space where I don't have a Ferrari, unfortunately. I'm not flashing my cars or really fancy clothes or those kind of things. But what I, what I so hopefully that at least like levels the ground for the people that think you have a million followers on yes. social media or any of that stuff to do this. 
Um, what I will tell you is if that you're authentic and you're vulnerable and you tell people your story and you are sharing good information and really like living your core values and the, the character and person that you are, then they will be attracted to that. So I do think that you need to get out there. You need to, uh, you know, build a following, but it doesn't have to be big to be successful. Um, we just launched an event that we had that uh, I was I was selling a $20,000 product at that event. Um, when I was making the offer, um, it was a virtual stage that we did. We put it together. There were 108 people that were watching this. And we sold, uh, I think there we sold 28 $20,000 mastermind groups. So you can see that, but I, I congregated 108 of the right people in one place and I gave them something that they were looking for. And we had built up enough trust and knowledge and information that we share with them over those few days that they felt like we were the next step for them. So whether it's a, whether you're, you're figuring out how to sell your first $200 product, or if we're talking specifically in the real estate space, if you've been successful and you want to share that success and you're, you're honest about it and you're vulnerable and you open up your world and you let people in on not just the good things. It's not all flashing Ferrari keys, right? Yeah. It's, Hey, I'm struggling in my personal life. I have these other things going on. If you're sharing all of that, then people will start being interested in what you have. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I said something the other day that somebody told me your, your mess becomes your message. So I don't know who there's it's, a marketing world that I'm in and this message is shared a lot. So your mess becomes your message, right? And I think that's it. It's like, what, what have you done in your world that makes you the expert in that thing? And then if you really truly want to give back, then, then do it. I don't think that I could possibly be selling stuff if I didn't build a successful business. Um, and so I have that background. You've got to have some credibility. What have you done? Like, I don't know, yeah. it, it, depending on where you are, what is it? If you want to sell some info products or, or digital products or mastermind groups or those kind of things. So what makes us stand out in the real estate space? Like we really, I, I don't, we're not the biggest, but I think we're the best, yeah. you know? And, and we have, we have people that are, are just like, just like me, just like the other people in the community that are, we have the same values. We share the same characteristics. People come in there and they're like, I love it. I had a lady come up to me at an event. Um, I, I wish I could remember who, who it was, but it was one of the guy's wives. And she said a lot of these real estate conferences and mastermind groups like this before um, with my husband. But this is the first time that I've never heard a cuss word in like three days. And it's just our community. Our community is just, that's not like, prevalent there. It's just not something that, and it's there. Like some people will, you know, have some foul language here and there, but it's, it's not on the forefront. Yeah. And it's just, it's just us. It's who we are. And, and I'll tell you, it doesn't fit in. Like you ever been in the room where you're like, oh man, like I dressed the wrong way for this. Or I, I don't, I don't feel like I fit in here. You went into the, you're checking out a church. Maybe you move somewhere and you're checking out a new church and you're just like walking. You're like, this is not the one for me. I can just feel it. That's what happens. People just self-select themselves out. And this is our community. You build your tribe, you build it right. Um, and they'll follow you. Um, I really think you have to tell your story. Oh man, that's so good. It, it, it makes me think of, um, I don't know if you've ever read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. Have you heard of him? Mm, yeah. That was really yes. freeing 
his message, I watched, you know, his TED talk, I think, or, or something like that. And then I, I read his book and it freed me up a lot because there's nothing wrong with, you know, the path of building a big audience and, you know, using that to build your, your brand and sell your product and that kind of thing. But I just really had a personal issue with it that I didn't, it just didn't come naturally to me. Like just in general, I don't find myself ever thinking I should put this on Facebook. Like, however, I just live my life, my actual life. I'm not like grabbing things, but I can't wait to share this on Instagram, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I had a hard time then trying to think about that for business. And when I read his, he made a simple comment that he said, if you're doing deep, meaningful work, the, the people will find you. Now, it doesn't mean you don't invest in marketing. It doesn't mean that we don't get good at marketing and sales and that kind of thing. But it did put in my brain that the main thing was, was solving a real problem. The main thing was like doing deep, meaningful work. And that if you do that, you can then find channels and ways of connecting with your ideal customer that doesn't have to be this way that might feel inauthentic to you, right? Now, that could be a cop-out when you're you know, needing to get a little bit better at just being okay with being on social media or whatever. But this podcast is an example for me. It's a medium that I love. It's a medium yeah. that, that I just genuinely enjoy doing it. It doesn't feel like some game, right? And I'm like, well, I could do that. And I could build a small tribe, you know, that way with the kind of people I want to help and serve. And, I, and, and so I, I just want the people listening to hear that message as well, that what you've done, Bill, is you've, you've found something true to you. You found a real skill set that, that you know how to transfer to people. And if you find someone who resonates with you, you got a tribe for them, right? And yep. you don't have to be TikTok famous. You don't have to have a million followers on Instagram. And I think for a lot of people, that's really reassuring. Yeah, well, one one thing I want to I I do want to mention here is I think it's it's still our like it's your I don't know I I, I this thing rings in my head all the time to be a, a creator on social media not a consumer right so yeah. I have a coach that tells me that all the time be a creator not a consumer right so when you're when you're running a business and you're in marketing so I had to have this transition of my social media profile is not for my just my friends and family anymore. It really is my calling card for who I am. So it kind of made that shift. And I won't say that I walk around and like look for images, but what I what I do is like this morning, I, I'll use a, a quick example. I'll be quick. Like I, I, we bought this farm and I have 61 chickens, oh, 64 chickens on the farm right now since last weekend. I opened the door this morning. It's like six o'clock in the morning, 6.30 in the morning. And I'm coming over and I've got some scraps, to, some food to give them, some of the, the vegetables from our garden that were overripe. And they like walk up to me. I'm standing in the corner and there's a little fence and they all walk up to me. They're staring right at me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to take a picture of this. Like there's 64 chickens looking at me like fully <laughs> intent, like staring at me like I have something for them. And I, I used it on social media. I posted it. I was like, this is perfect. This is a perfect analogy of what our events are like. I look down from the stage and I see this sea of people with these open eyes staring up at me like, what do you have for us? Like, what, what can you share that's going to make me an extra million dollars? And so, you know, I, I do start to see the word, world through like more storytelling and yeah. things like that of, hey, this happened to me or this, like, I remember taking a picture of my two kids and just they, like, they look at me and I was on my own with my three-year-old, my four-year-old, and they look like little velociraptors and they just darted off in two different directions. And I had to pick the one that, that I was like, they're both running towards the road. I have to pick the one that I either care about the most or is the slowest. So like just telling these stories and letting people into your world and, and realizing that you're just a normal person, just like them, even though you might run a multi-million dollar business. And the more you can do that, the more you become approachable and the more they want to 
get come into your life, your story and things like that. And you understand that you can help them. Cause I do think that it's, it is our mission to, to put yourself out there, to, to, to share. And like you said, on the medium that works for you, for me, it's, it's my podcast and Facebook primarily. Like those are the two places that I understand that I know that I, I just, I don't have a huge learning curve. I'm a little bit older, you know, like some of this other stuff I just can't keep up with. And I don't have time to learn all new stuff right now. And so I love it because every medium is a little bit different. The podcast is great yeah. because you're having a direct conversation one-on-one with somebody. Like you're having a one-on-one conversation with them. And it, it's, it can be very intimate conversation. They learn a ton about you. If you can be vulnerable and open on a podcast, it's like they're in the gym listening to just you. They have nothing yeah. else in their ear. You know, social media is so it's, it, it, you can go scroll on Facebook all day and you see millions of people. Instagram is so distracting. You click one thing, you're somewhere else. Yeah. And you don't know how to get back to where you were. So um, figure that out. I think um, what's the medium that works the best for you, Drew, for you, it's, it's a podcast, which is awesome. And for somebody else, it might be like, oh, look, I want to tell my story in a, uh, a virtual uh, or a, um, uh, an environment like Instagram, where I'm basically a reality TV show star, where I just take yeah. pictures and share my life on, in photos. Uh, maybe you want to like YouTube is great because it, you can like watch reruns on there. People watch that stuff over and over and over again. And so there's lots of different ways to get your message out there, but I think it's, it is our duty to get it out there. And if you have something that's really, really good, I will push you um, to get it out there and not say that I just don't want to share this stuff or, or maybe they will find me like, yeah. uh, man, I hear people say that all the time. If the deal is good enough in real estate, then the money will find you. Well, they have to know that you have that deal before they can actually find you with their money. So you have to tell them, you've got to put it out there. Don't be, and usually we're afraid to create something and put it out there because we're afraid of failure. And so sometimes, look, I've made tons of posts. I've made tons of uh, products, ideas and stuff that did not work. They were failures, but through our failures is where we learn what works. So that's the challenge that I'll give everybody that's listening. Well, you gave me that challenge too. And that's why I said, where I was like, you know, part of this could be a cop out for me where I'm, I'm avoiding some of the stuff I don't want to do. So I receive it. My team's going to love that. They're going to love it. It is. It is a cop out. And, uh, but me, me fighting the Instagram (laughs) battle is like, it's a cop out too. Like I should take the time to figure it out because there are a lot of people on there and there's a lot of people that are in our, our avatar that should be, um, should be in there. I just like, honestly, you get frustrated. I'll be perfectly vulnerable here. Um, I've, I've tried, I've spent some time on Instagram and I just can't figure out how to get a bunch of people to come start following me fast enough. Like I have no patience. I'm, I want hyper growth and speed. Same thing with YouTube. I've done a lot of stuff on YouTube and I'm just like, man, it's just not growing as fast as I wanted to. So I kind of put it on the back burner and uh, it's probably a mistake for me on both of those platforms to not do a lot more with it. And we do have plans for YouTube to do a lot more, but honestly, like Instagram, that's my personal page. Like I have to do the work and it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, for me, I think what I'm trying to balance, and this is just me just talking with you now, is I have seen too many people become consumed with freaking virtual fans or detractors. And what? And I'm like, I'm watching you, and it ruined your moment at the park with your kids because somebody, some asshole made some comment on your post, and you're all – and I'm like, I, there's just a part of me that's like, I just don't want to be consumed by that. Now, I think I've gone yeah. too far – Right. I've gone too far and not saying, all right, but what could we learn about that medium platform? I'm comfortable with podcasts and speaking from stage, but I'm not comfortable with Instagram or whatever that I need to lean into. But I at least know that's a marker that, that just for me, like my values, I'm like, dude, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to yeah. live glued to my phone and see how many followers came in and, and that kind of thing. But I think I've swung a little bit too far. You know, well, I th- yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a happy medium there. I think you can yeah. get to the point where um, and I find it too. Sometimes I, I know, man, when I'm in marketing mode on social media, 
and my kids have to say daddy three times, like I just have to, I have to have barriers. I just have to put my phone in the box at five o'clock when I come home and I'll pull it out there at eight o'clock when they go to bed. And that's it. Like it's, it's over there. And it's not, you just can't, we get addicted to it. And, and that's where we get frustrated. We get, um, we let that come into our head. We let that come into our mindset. And next thing you know, we're snapping at our kids or we're, we're, we're not balanced at home. And really, you know, you got to find that, that balance in all of it. And I I totally agree with you. Like it it can be, and, and just because you have a million, million followers doesn't mean you can actually sell anything or, or anybody's (laughs) actually even listening. You know, I'd much rather have a much smaller, tighter uh, audience that knows, likes, and trusts me. And I have the right people that show up um, than just have a a massive following. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, that's all ego right there and not the good ego, the bad ego. Yeah. So good. All right, my friend, let's do our our lightning round questions and I'll let you get back to your day. So five questions we've asked everybody that's been on the podcast. We'll start with the same questions with you, starting with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your organization, what would that message be? Our, our core values. And I think we have. So um, I'll, I'll give them to you right now. It's, it's uh, O-SHIP. So S-H-I-P is what it was. Um, so SHIP, it just happened to be uh, a mnemonic for the Navy, Perfect. right? S-H-I-P. Yep. So stewardship, hard work, integrity, and personal and professional development. And then uh, we had Jocko Willink come in and speak at one of our events and um, read the book, Extreme Ownership. Uh, he's a, a retired Navy SEAL. A lot yep. of you guys that are listening probably know who he is. I uh, got the chance to spend time with him, meet with him, um, do a couple events with him, have, have dinner together with our, our clients and stuff. And uh, that Extreme Ownership came in big time. When I read that book, Extreme Ownership, we started implementing it and the company was massive. So now it's O for ownership. So extreme ownership, stewardship, hard work, integrity, and personal and professional development. If I can ingrain that in my team and my staff and every single person walking around the hall in our office should be able to repeat that to you right now, anytime, if you stop them, they should be able to give you those five and they actually live them and own them, like extreme ownership and those values. That's it. Oh, I love that. All right, question number two. What's the single best advice you've gotten about growing your business and what's the worst? I'd say the best piece of advice that I got and I continue to kind of pass on and give is, um, is grow responsibly. So I see a lot of people try to grow really, really big companies um, and really fast. And I really love this responsible growth um, idea. And um, I'd, say, uh, I'd say the other one that I've gotten before is like the, um, the customer's always right. Um, so I don't really love that one. Um, I wouldn't say like I've gotten really bad advice in business, but that one kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Um, I love being customer focused, but um, really I find um, my team and my staff and everybody that that's around me, I really put them just like a little bit above. Uh, I really want to take care of them. I want them to be my core focus because I know that if I do that, then um, then we'll take care of that customer. But anytime I get into a the customer said this and my team said that um, I'm usually, you know, leaning towards the team. Maybe that comes from like the military and, and sports and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. That one makes always kind of gets me. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. All right. Question number three, what causes you the most stress or worry currently leading your organization? Hmm. Uh, man, that's a tough one. So stress or worry in my organization right now, um, really for me, it's communication. Like, the, the problem that I run into a lot, and I think a lot of us do, if you're listening to this, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, is we everything runs in our head. At, we're like supercomputers almost. Like we can see the, 
as a visionary, you can see around corners, you understand everything, and you don't want to slow down to, to lay everything out for people. So the problem that I have right now in my seven-figure flipping company is I'm the visionary, I'm the integrator, so I'm the CEO, COO, and I'm also a content creator. So I like work for the marketing department too, because I run the podcast, I do events, I do all that stuff. I'm a speaker, I, I'm a salesperson, I'm all that stuff. And so being able to communicate all the ideas and the steps that I have, and instead of just thinking that I, like, that I can telepathically send my messages, of, you can see all the way through everything that you want to do. And uh, the communication, I think I'm really, really bad at it. And it's causing problems and stress in my life. And not just in my business life too, in my personal life as well. Uh, I should probably communicate a little bit better with my wife and with my kids and my family and, and friends and stuff like that. Um, and really, it, you can go really, really fast. And I think I just need to slow down a little bit and, and communicate a little bit better for everybody. Man, that strikes home for me. I mean, that's a lesson me and my co-founder have been feeling from our team is there's things that you just, you felt like you communicated, but you didn't. You know, you're like, didn't I say that? Didn't I make that clear? And they're like, no. No, I had no idea you expected that, or I had no idea that was how oh. you thought about it. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Like, I, I guess it's speed, right? I think it's too fast, and we're not slowing down and saying, did I actually communicate this or not? We have conversations with ourselves all the time. Like, yes. you just have a conversation with yourself that you thought three other people were there, and you're like, no, I told you that already. No, you didn't. It's 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 totally normal for us. I used to work through <laughs> conflict in my head and feel like I'd already we'd already resolved it. Like, I'd hear someone's upset with me and I'd imagine the conversation in my head and emotionally felt like, yeah, we dealt with it. And I'm like, no, we never well, actually had that conversation. That's probably a good skill to have to get over things quickly that most people like run it through their head over and over and over again and over. Uh, but it, it could definitely be the next time you see that person, if you think everything's fine and they don't, yeah. <laughs> that could be a big problem. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's good for the petty stuff. Like the stuff that's yeah. not, it's not, that's not worth a conversation. What's got me in trouble in life, but maybe probably more so my closest relationships, like my marriage is that some of those conflicts are opportunity for true peacemaking, which is like you engage conflict and came out with peace. And my personality sometimes will be a peacekeeper, which is like avoiding it and just saying, well, I dealt with it in my head, so I'm not offended or I let go of that. And it's like, no, that, was a, that wasn't a petty thing. Like we needed to have a conversation. Like you needed to hear me or I needed to hear you. So that's just me. Like I, I've realized like, man, it's helped me in some stuff, but in some other stuff, like I've, got a, I've had to develop a little more courage to say, no, I think this needs a real conversation, you know, either an apology well, you know, from me or. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's important because I, we went to a, a wellness center at the end of last year, uh, my wife and I to kind of work through some things. And, and what somebody told me was it's okay. Like th there was a coach there, a, a woman. Um, and she said, you, it's okay to feel pain, like sit in that pain and feel that. And we try to avoid that. Like we run away from pain and we try to I avoid conflict it. and all this stuff. Yep. And she said, no, sit, sit in there. It's okay. So um, she lost her husband um, very quickly, like uh, out of nowhere, lost her husband. And um, she does a lot of grief counseling and things like that. And she, she sat in some very deep, tough pain. And what it does is you have sitting there and allowing yourself to hurt and giving yourself permission to do that and to be in pain. And to work through it is really, really important. So I think with conflict and, and resolve and stuff like that, it is really important to not run away from it and sit in it as much as it hurts and it stinks, um, but to be able to give yourself permission to do that. And, and then obviously forgiveness uh, after that. So, Yeah, man, well said. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, again, we're both being honest here. Like that's, that's what I, I've felt is like 
you trick your if it's real pain, like I said, not just petty stuff, but if it's real pain, you trick yourself into thinking you got over it, you know, and maybe you're not actively feeling it, but it'll come out somewhere else. It'll come out years later and you're like, wow, oh, yeah. why, why did I react so strongly? And you're like, oh, I've got some unresolved issues that because I never brought it up and gave us a chance to like work through it, it's just been kind of down in the boiler room. And, and that's, that's kind of how I felt. Like I, uh, I told my team, uh, you know, we did check-ins on each other. I was like, man, you know, last weekend, small thing happened between me and my wife and I was upset all weekend. And it let me know I apparently had not been doing a good job of maybe, you know, communicating about, you know, things that had bothered me because it should not have done that to me. You know, that's always my biggest clue is like, hey, if I'm overreacting to something, then something unresolved has, has festered and is blowing this out of proportion. And so that, man, I'm just being honest with you on the podcast. I got, that was been my takeaway the last two weeks. I'm like, I, apparently I'm not doing a good job of, of more, more consistently being vulnerable with my closest people and saying, hey, you know what, that kind of hurt me the other day. Because that, that, that feels that feels vulnerable. You know, that feels uh, yep. like you get hurt when you bring that conversation up, right? Oh, we're great. We're great at compartmentalizing things, uh, putting it in a box and throwing away the key. And yeah. then it adds up and adds up and adds up and explodes. And just like you said, uh, if you can get rid of that stuff, um, it's it's really, really important to figure out how to unload that box and, and get rid of the lock. Yeah. There's a guy, a Franciscan uh, monk, Richard Rohr, that he says, pain that is not transformed will be transferred. And I'll mm. never forget that. So he's like, if it doesn't get transformed in you, like it doesn't get dealt with, it'll get transferred. It'll get passed on to other people. And it's like, shit, he's right. I'd heard that in my head, but I wasn't letting yeah. it get down to like my heart, you know, in the practical day to day. Yeah. Um, all right, my friend, I promise you we were almost done. So let me stop taking us down rabbit holes. Question <laughs> number four, what is your current BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for this company? Oh, man. So... <sighs> You know, we, we've got like a seven-year target of a $15 million company and like the top mastermind group in, in the nation, right? So, um, but, so that's, that's on our, that's on our, we, we have, we operate off EOS. So that's on our, our vision traction organizer, our VTO. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, I, I've got this like personal internal goal that that's like too small. <laughs> uh, like we're thinking too small. So, um, and, and so I, I really think that we could be probably a $25 million company with, with not like an excessive amount of extra work. Um, the, the only, the only thing for me is, is starting to realize the fact that like, I'm really happy and I, I love the lifestyle business that we have and that we're running. And so, um, if that does happen, if we go to that place, I think there, there's going to be like, I'm going to have to kind of step into more of an owner's box visionary role where um, I'm a part of it, but I'm not the one driving that kind of growth. Yeah. Um, so that's the challenge, right? To look at a company that you own in the future and see that you might not be the biggest part of it um, when you are the biggest part of it now. So, but I love that. I think that, I think that goal is even better than the numerical goal. So like, if I can be, if, if this company can be successful without me, like that is, uh, that's amazing. Like that's I really think freedom. I want to yeah, build something that lives long, long after I do. So, yeah, super cool. All right. We've asked you all the hard questions. This one, well, this one might be hard because it's so different. It's just a fun, creative question. Answer it however you will. We're going to play back to the future. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past, but there's one rule. You can only tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by. 
when are you going back and what message are you passing along to that younger version of yourself? Oh man. Um, you know, honestly, so I think the, I think the biggest thing that's happened to me in, in, in my life has been, uh, meeting my spouse. So there's a little village in, um, in England that I, and I don't know if this would work, but, um, I would probably go back like a few years before I did, uh, probably five, six years before we met. And cause I, I mean, there's a lot of things that I was doing in my life and, and stupid stuff that, that was going on in my world. And, um, and I would go back to that point and say, Hey man, go over to that village in Amesbury, uh, United kingdom and knock on that door and say hi to that girl. So, um, I don't know how often you hear that, but that's, that's probably what I would do. I was, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was, I wouldn't say I was old, but I was like 33, 34 when we met. And, um, I think my, my life would be significantly different if I was like 25. So, um, I don't, and I don't know if I was ready for that. I don't know if I was mature enough. I don't know if I'd been through enough life, but, um, that's probably, that's probably what I would do. I think business is good. All this stuff is great. I, honestly, um, that game's not that fun because everything that we, that we do in our life leads us to the place that we are and where we're going in the future. So yeah. without those experiences, any changes that were made, any of that stuff, uh, I mean, you know, the story, it erases the whole family, right. And it erases yep. everything. Yeah. So, um, I really don't like playing with that, but if I had the opportunity to meet her a little bit earlier, that'd probably be it. I love it. Well, make sure your wife listens to this episode just for that answer, because that's major brownie points and the first person that's given that. And I could tell it came from mm. a true place in your heart. So that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, we got some amazing kids. We got an amazing family an awesome life. It has not been easy. I can tell you that, but, um, man, we got some, we got some beautiful babies and who knows, maybe we'd have more if we met earlier. So, <laughs> well, Bill, man, thank you for taking time being here, sharing your story, your wisdom and being vulnerable with us. I know it's been a gift to me and sure a gift to our audience. So thank you for being here today, my friend. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.